0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And if you know anything about me, then it is probably that I have certain strong feelings about Star Wars. If you don't know anything about me, well, today's gonna be a lighter video, but one that actually does touch on the law and what the object of writing opinions actually is. I have a lot of opinions on that myself, and I suspect you might as well. Now, to get some background on what happened in the Ninth Circuit last week, we have to look at Star Wars. More specifically, Star Wars The Last Jedi and The Rise of Skywalker, Episodes 8 and 9, the third and fourth movies, I believe, maybe the fourth and fifth movies of the Disney Star Wars takeover after they purchased Lucasfilm in 2012 now to give you some additional background in case you didn't know this just a little bit of a lore dump on the history of virtual legality and myself when I started my firm Hoag Law in 2016 one of the things that I wanted to do was make inroads with people that don't necessarily like lawyers so much one of the things that happens in legal firm marketing uh, is that we tend to come off as pretty cold and callous and very business oriented only And while I certainly have very strong feelings and hopefully a lot of aptitude for helping you with your small business, I also like to present myself out to the world as a human being. So one of the things I did with my blog when I started it up was to try to branch out into things like we do here now in virtual legality. And one of those things was an essay that I wrote after I saw The Last Jedi in December of 2017. If you actually look at the date of this article, This was really written before any of the political or other fallout wound up happening with respect to this film. In fact, one of the things that I remember commenting on to my wife when The Last Jedi came out, it was very divisive amongst Star Wars fans as well as new fans coming to Disney Star Wars through that movie or the movie before it, was that it really wasn't a terribly political conversation at the time. It really wasn't these dividing lines or social culture wars. It was about who Luke Skywalker is and whether this made sense as a plot line for The Last Jedi, whether the pacing worked and all these various things. And so I wrote this in December of 2017. And as it turned out, this is still the most read thing that I have ever written, except maybe some contracts that have gone through government reviews and things like that. This was passed around around places on the internet, like Reddit and Tumblr and folks that I had never seen or heard of and introduced me to where these things can kind of go and ultimately led to me fooling around with starting a YouTube channel in 2018. This is May of that year and what would eventually become Virtual Legality in November of that same year. To give you a little bit of additional background in case you don't know, I'll just read one of the paragraphs from the start here just to give you my tilt on this. Before breaking down The Last Jedi, I feel it's important to make some disclaimers. I have attended Star Wars Celebration multiple times. I have a robot BB-8 and a Millennium Falcon pillow. My wife dressed as Padme Amidala for the release of episode two. My internet handle has been and apparently always will be a major Star Wars character. From any angle in either my formal or home offices, you can see something from Star Wars. and I think that still holds true today. I am invested just setting the scene for whether or not The Last Jedi worked for me. And of course, if you have been in virtual reality for a while, you know that it in fact did not. So it is with some humor, that I bring to you a case in the ninth circuit called essentially Henderson versus Conagra foods. This is actually a kind of confusing situation because this is a class action that sued Conagra Fo- foods for false advertising. And what you had in this class action was a settlement. We're going to talk about some of the specifics here and someone objecting to that settlement. You might say to yourself, Rick, how in the world do we get from that set of facts? to any kind of discussion of Star Wars, The Last Jedi, and I would probably agree with you. And one of the questions we have here is whether that discussion of The Last Jedi is in fact appropriate. Now this says, the panel reversed the district court's approval of a class action settlement in an appeal brought by a class member objector in a diversity action where the class alleged that Canagra Foods Inc. used a misleading 100% natural label on Wesson oil. The panel held that the class settlement agreement raised a squadron of red flags. Is that the appropriate name for a group of red flags? Squadron doesn't feel right to me, but I digress. That required further review. The panel held further that under the newly revised federal rules of civil procedure, courts must scrutinize settlement agreements for potentially unfair collusion in the distribution of funds between the class and their council. If you've been following me online and talking to folks like Game Industry Biz and Games Daily and other places, you might have seen me refer to class actions and the plaintiff's process and how counsel gets paid. One of the issues with a class action is that lawyers and the law firms that represent the lead representative of a class tend to suck up a lot of the money that a company that loses a class action lawsuit or settles one outside of court tends to pay. And so the federal rules have tried to clamp down on that by saying, well, look, you can't just take all the money and separate it out amongst the representative and his or her law firm because that means the class really didn't get redress. The entire purpose of this process is to get some kind of redress, some kind of making whole of somebody that was damaged by what a company did. Here, the court says, hmm, that is perhaps in question. Under the settlement, Canagra agreed to refrain from marketing Wesson oil as 100% natural. Well, that sounds great, Except that Conagra already abandoned that strategy in 2017, two years before the parties hammered out their agreement for reasons it claims were unrelated to this or any other litigation. So again, thinking about this, you had a group of people sue that say, hey, Wesson Oil shouldn't have been called 100% natural. And Conagra says, oh, maybe you're right. We'll settle for some amount of money. And part of that settlement is we won't do it again. And the court says, that sounds great, except you had already stopped and then the next sentence, even worse, Canagras promise not to use the phrase 100% natural on Wesson Oil appears meaningless because Conagra no longer owns Wesson Oil. In reality, this promise is about as meaningful and enduring as a proposal in the final rose ceremony on The Bachelor. Okay. So we're going to talk about pop culture references. That's part of why I wanted to bring this up, not just because I wanted to point out that the court has an opinion about The Last Jedi and The Rise of Skywalker, but also to kind of dive deep into a conversation that happens in law schools around the country and probably in other jurisdictions as well, which is when is it appropriate to use a pop culture reference and when is it not? Now, in some respects, a court doing it this way, the Ninth Circuit maybe does this more than other circuits. That's out West, California, and what have you. Uh, is designed to try to be more approachable, right? We talk about lawsuits a lot here in virtual legality and legal documents in general, and they tend to be dry. I had, in fact, had a commenter that likes my stuff here in virtual legality refer to me as kind of dry uh, the other day, and I think that's probably right. It's hard to not be at least kind of dry when talking about legal issues, although we do our best not to be entirely dry here. But that's the nature of the thing. If you are being specific and precise and making sure that you dot every I and cross every T, there probably isn't space for language that some people aren't going to understand. And that's the other side of a pop culture reference, right? You want to be the cool teacher here as the court and you want to have something that people can understand as a reference. But if you've never seen The Bachelor and you don't know what the final rose is, then what does this in an opinion, in a federal case actually mean to you? And the purpose of writing an opinion is to communicate the logic behind that opinion, right? Nobody needs 30 pages of material on this. In fact, you could just have, hey, the court decided on a two to one basis or whatever the number of judges is in any given decision that X happens and not explain itself at all. The reason we go through this process is because we think it's useful for future courts to have precedent, to have something that's persuasive, to have other smart people having thought about this situation and what it is that they base their decision on. So it's important to understand how that came to be. Now, these are just examples of what is pretty clear. Conagra doesn't own Wesson Oil, so making a promise to not do something with Wesson Oil doesn't make a lot of sense. And now they're going to use a lot of examples here, the court is, to try to establish what that looks like in other contexts. But still, you got to watch it with pop culture references because at the end of the day, it's not going to make as much sense. If you imagine this in 50 years and some lawsuit in 2071 going... I'm sorry, what? That's a little bit about how law school is now, reading cases from the 1870s or what have you, where you just don't understand things. And at least there, they just have different methodologies of English. They're not referencing whatever the super popular penny novel was in 1870, usually. There's probably some exception. Continuing with the paragraph, simply put, Richardson, the new owner of Wesson Oil, can resume using the 100% natural label at any time it wishes, thereby depriving the class of any value theoretically afforded by the injunction. Right, They would have an injunction. They would prevent Canagra, as part of the settlement from using that label for a company that they no longer own. And this is another aspect of the law that I think people skip a little bit. The court is deciding cases and controversies before it and not anything else. So Richardson, this new company, isn't a party to these proceedings. So even if there's an injunction against Canagra, it doesn't affect the new company that actually owns the rights to make these labels. And that comes up in other places. Last week, I did a virtual legality episode on the big computer fraud case. And a number of you came and said, well, isn't the police officer, and you can check out that video, actually still in trouble under some various other laws? And the answer is yes. What the Supreme Court was deciding in that case was very specific about whether this specific language in this one law applied to this circumstance. And then what, based on that reasoning, how that would apply to others operating under the same law and what, if anything, was legal or illegal after the Supreme Court got done talking. Not because anybody else was in front of the court at that time, but because the other courts of the United States would base their decisions on the logic of the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court being in every place except New York, where they call their lowest court, the Supreme Court, the supreme law of the land on the interpretation of statutes like this. So, Conagra thus essentially agreed not to do something over which it lacks the power to do. It is a promise that doesn't matter. The class here didn't get any value for it, which is ultimately why the court is going to strike down this settlement, or at least make them go settle it again. Here's where we get to Star Wars. That is like George Lucas promising no more mediocre and schlocky Star Wars sequels shortly after selling the franchise to Disney. Such a promise would be illusory. Now there's a couple of things happening here. One, this probably would have about the same power or lack of it as the reference to The Bachelor up above, if it weren't for this little footnote number five, and we're going to look at that in just a second. But also, it's a couple of interesting things here, right? You have the court trying to relate to people, trying to talk about things that this particular writer is interested in, and it thinks that people will understand a little bit better. But there's a couple of things happening here that even I, as a lawyer, look at and say, hmm, not quite sure. So if George Lucas promises no more mediocre and schlocky Star Wars sequels, which were the first? Do you consider episodes one through three, mediocre and schlocky? Probably. That's usually something that the internet agrees with. The prequels were schlocky. Sh- sh- and yet, we think of the prequels as the prequels, not sequels. But they did come after time. Is that a sequel under the law? I don't know if we have a good definition for that. If it's something that happens previously in the story, it's a prequel to those of us out here in the world. Is it a sequel in the movie business and under the law because it happened after the fact? It was made a certain amount of years after the originals were made. Either way, George Lucas promising no more mediocre and schlocky Star Wars sequels, presuming that the prequels were the first go at it, in 2012, after he sells it to Disney, doesn't make any difference. Such a promise would be illusory, as evident by Disney's production of The Last Jedi and The Rise of Skywalker. (laughs) And you say, oh, okay. So we have to talk about a few things here, right? Because a number of places went out and said, the law holds The Last Jedi and The Rise of Skywalker schlocky and mediocre, and that's not what is happening here. Um, So the holding is effectively that in this particular instance, in this particular case, this settlement is not enough for the federal rules of civil procedure. And one of those reasons is because one of the promises that the class action got out of the company was something that the company couldn't do in any event because they no longer own the company. And then there's examples about that. The Bachelor, George Lucas selling out Lucasfilm and the Star Wars brand. And so what this amounts to is what we call dicta, which is essentially just extra information that isn't required to make the holding. And so any other court can simply ignore it if it chooses to. Now, another court can find these kinds of things persuasive, could agree or disagree. Maybe there'll be a footnote in the Ninth Circuit next month that says that we find The Last Jedi to be the preeminent Star Wars of all time and hold the Ninth Circuit in contempt for their dicta on this point, whatever it might be. And hopefully that doesn't happen because the judicial system isn't a great place to have this debate, but who knows? As dicta, this isn't the kind of thing that will actually control the law. Furthermore, even if it were, Even if it were a legal holding here, it's important to understand how the court system actually works. So this is the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. This is the Western District of the United States. Essentially, that would bind those courts that are in the Ninth Circuit, the Court of Appeals and the lower federal courts, to whatever the finding is here as a nature of law. Again, assuming that this isn't dicta. It wouldn't bind things like the Sixth Circuit. That's where I live, Michigan and the Midwest. They could take it as persuasive. They could say, hey, you know, when we make our decision about whether or not The Last Jedi is mediocre or schlocky, and I'm struggling to figure out exactly where that would come up in most cases, but we're going to make our decision in the Sixth Circuit. We can note that the Ninth Circuit has found them mediocre and schlocky, but that does not bind the Sixth Circuit or any other circuit in the United States. It certainly doesn't bind the Supreme Court that, as we have seen in virtual legality, can do whatever the heck it likes on circuit splits and the like. So it's not really a legal holding, but it is amusing, especially for those of us that follow Star Wars as I do. Finally, talking about this pop culture question, I did want to bring up the end here, where we have a conclusion that starts with a giant quote from Hamilton, an American musical by Lynn Manuel Miranda. With two Virginians and an immigrant walk into a room, diametrically opposed foes, they emerge with a compromise, having opened doors that were previously closed. Bros, no one else was in the room where it happened, etc., etc. And again, Hamilton, cultural touchstone. A lot of people watched it. Certainly it was on Disney+. And yet, what is the purpose of this in a legal opinion? If we go to the next paragraph, though that process suffices for political compromise and even most settlements, it does not for class action settlements because they impose binding judgments on absent class members. Federal courts must approve class action settlements and assure that they are fair, reasonable, and adequate. At some point in the future, this is just going to look like a rhetorical dead end to nowhere. And people are gonna ask, what in the heck is this thing? Maybe it's a hundred years from now. Maybe it's 10 years from now. You just never know on these things. So while I like this stuff, obviously I'm doing virtual legality. We talk about pop culture and business and law as a matter of course here. We're also not the ones drafting legal opinions. And in my opinion, making things a little bit more confused than they need to be on what are fairly important points. So what do you think? Do you think pop culture references belong in judicial opinions? Do you think that they make things better? Do you think they make things worse? Do you think that it depends on the reference, that you have to do things that are really pop culture oriented before you become a family guy episode of a judicial opinion? Or can you take a slightly less awful tact and just hint at certain things? Obviously, if you've been in virtual legality, you know we have covered this question before at the Supreme Court level, where Justice Kagan started writing about Hamilton, started writing about, uh, I believe it was the election of 1800. She mentioned Veep and other things. And we talked about this very thing and whether or not it actually works, whether it makes it less serious for such important questions in the law and in the United States. Let me know what you think, because I'm very interested and I love having this discussion. This has been Virtual Legality for today. Hopefully a little bit lighter to start our week off. We've been doing very long episodes about very important things. Here, we're just talking about The Last Jedi, uh, if you like this kind of content, the business and law of pop culture, video games, technology, and more, please consider supporting the channel at Patreon, Streamlabs, buying something from the store, or just subscribing, telling your friends, leaving a comment, giving up votes, down downvotes, and all the rest. If you caught this on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. And if you listen to it as a podcast, thank you so much for listening. And I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality.